Hey folks, welcome to the Hermit's Lamp Podcast. Uh, you know, it's been a, a bonkers ride this year. You know, this episode is releasing December 11 to the world, a little earlier for Patreon people, which is a reason why you might want to go support it. And, you know, I've been struggling with the podcast and the things that have been causing me to struggle are one, COVID and all the shenanigans and its impact on my business which have required me to work more often. Um, and the impact that that has on being able to devote time and energy to doing this podcast. The Patreon is great. I appreciate deeply everybody who supports it. And versus doing this um, and making more money, it's very hard to curve out the time for this. So this is one of the reasons why I've been encouraging people to sign up for the Patreon. I hear from so many people how much they love the podcast. And yet when it comes to sort of supporting this work, which takes hours out of my life to make happen, um, people don't necessarily come through on the Patreon so much. So if you've been listening to this, you know, and we're at 115 episodes. It's a lot of uh, episodes. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of listening. I'm going to ask you to say, hey, I'm going to go and support the Patreon now. Head on over there and you know, sign up even a buck, a couple bucks, it all helps. It all adds up towards making this more possible. All right. And then of course, the other thing that I've had a struggle with is uh, a lot of the people that I would like to have guests are struggling in the same ways as everybody else is. And it has been a lot harder to schedule people as well. So if you have folks that you would like to see on the podcast, uh, drop me a line. You know, I'm always looking for interesting people who are doing innovative stuff and uh, really pushing the envelope. Uh, I'm not really that interested in talking to folks just because they put out a deck or a book or other things. Uh, more so, I'm interested in having bigger conversations about the nature of spirituality and what we're up to and, and the theories and ideas behind living a spiritual life to the best of our abilities. So, uh, enjoy the episode. I hope this didn't come off too preachy. And I will talk to you soon. Welcome to another episode of The Hermit's Lab. I'm here with uh, Che Wang Ku. Uh, we talked originally back in February of uh, 2019. So it's been a good stretch of time since we last caught up creeping up on two years here and uh you know uh as i continue to watch uh the stuff that they're up to uh you know i just hit me where i'm like you know we should talk again they seem like a person who's plugged into what's going on and has a lot to say about what's happening in the world right now so i, I thought we'd get together and have a conversation um you know for those who don't know who you are why don't you give us an introduction oh let's see Recently on TikTok, because that's sort of where I live right now, um, I have been called an occult journalist, which I love. Um, I've also been called an occult curator, and I like to call myself an occult anthropologist mm -hmm. as well. Um, it's interesting that my identifications have changed. Um, I started off with my YouTube channel, which is in wine, and at that point, I just considered myself somebody who was extremely interested in learning more because I'd come from a very atheist, materialist, skeptical background. And I wanted to talk to those I considered to be uh, knowledgeable in the field of Western 
And of course, since I speak English, English speaking um, esoteric arts that included you, included other guests. Um, and this journey has been absolutely fucking wild. Like since I started the YouTube channel, I've spoken at the inaugural Magical Women's Conference in London last year. Uh, Magic helped me get to Bali and lived there for five months. Um, and just in general, the connections that I made. So, and also the uh, money magic that I've done has had amazing results. So I can definitely say that a lot of my skepticism has turned into extreme interest and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And now because of my interest in what's going on in the wider witch world, especially amongst the younger generation on social media, how technology is influencing magic and the way that people think about and identify as those who practice the esoteric arts. Um, My identifications have also changed. And yeah, I I guess that's how I would introduce myself now. Mm -hmm. It's almost like super abstract. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, before we recorded, we talked about the idea of um, how, how this sort of question of identity is really relevant to a lot of these conversations, right? You know, how do we think of ourselves? How do we, how do we engage with the world from that filter, you know? And like, one of the things is, I've never really had a title, you know? Um, I remember when I was working as a reader and launching my store and like trying to come up with some like super marketable encapsulating thing about what I do. And I was just like, I got nothing. Like and all of them seem too, too limited to this, to that, to whatever. Right. So, you know, and in some ways my identity has often been an identity of, um, of not, not constructing one. Right. Or actively seeking to have, a tremendously flexible identity so that I'm not limiting myself, not limiting my beliefs, uh, you know, not limiting where I'm operating from so that I can shed stuff. You know, I remember saying to, uh, to one of my magical teachers, we were discussing, um, you know, sort of why, why some people get stuck and fall off the path when they start trying to learn different things. Right. And he's like, well, why do you think you're, you're staying on the path? And I said, well, I think it's because I'm always willing to give up who I think I am in order to discover who I am or who I've become. And that, that process continues. So when it comes to sort of words and labels and so on, other than if I'm in a specific role, I don't tend to really take them on very well, you know? So... That's very interesting. And I think what I've noticed because, okay, so I've done my YouTube channel, which is in mind for the past three and a half, four years. So I consider it me basically going to undergrad um, Mm. for the past three, four years, speaking to amazing professors, um, people that I consider to be just really amazing occultists, um, witches, people who are from a variety of uh, diverse background. Mm -hmm. And so I never went in with any sort of feeling like um, I absolutely wanted to be a certain type of path. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know why I did money magic and I would get a lot of money. And I was like, I need to reverse engineer this shit. So, so I can figure out how to make it even better. Yeah. And along the way, my aspirations and goals, they evolved and changed. And I was able to, of course, after four years of talking to people who are very experienced and who've given this a lot of thought, 
you evolve as well. When you're a freshman in college, you are very different, very different than when you're a graduating senior mm -hmm. in undergrad. And that's just undergrad, right? I just consider myself to be kind of like that. I don't even consider myself to be the person who's going to go on to grad school now and to get a mm -hmm. No, I'm not even there yet. Because my journey I consider to be quite new. But what I've noticed are patterns and trends. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've also realized is that almost every single experienced occultist, and I'm just going to use the umbrella term occultist that I've spoken to, no matter what their tradition, they all have something in common. And that thing that they have in common is that the more that you talk to them, even if they're known as a certain label, mm -hmm. and I think Frater Ashen Chassan is a good example of this. He's very well known and it's very easy to just say, oh, he's like a super traditional grimoireist, mm -hmm. very traditional ceremonial magician. But the more you talk to him, the more you realize that he's actually super flexible, super fluid. And his personality is in many ways labelless. Mm. All the top occultists that I've spoken to, even though other people may say, and maybe in some ways it's easier for them to say, you know, I'm a witch, I'm an occultist, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, they are very non-invested in the label versus somebody who's just starting out on the path. It's important perhaps to have this label and to hold on to this label almost as a way to stabilize yourself. Sure. But at a certain level, the labels don't mean shit anymore and you just honestly don't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? You know, I mean, as a 20-year-old uh, Thelemite, right? You know, I was pretty invested in that, you know? Um, but now as a, you know, whatever, however old I am now, um, 26. 26-year-old, uh, you know, Olocha, right? Or, you know, priest of Shango. I mean, I identify with that in ceremony and in those contexts in that role, then sure, I identify with that. But I don't really uh, put that out. You know, people, people have to have an organic conversation to that point, as opposed to me being all ready to bring it up at the drop of a hat, you know? So, yeah, for sure. I've definitely noticed that because mainstream society is and mainstream media is at that point where they're back to the cycle of witches are interesting and cool mm -hmm. because of that, that label is very important because in today's society, that label can be used as branding as some sort of tool of capitalism, which I have nothing against. Like mm -hmm. I'm like, if you want to do that, you know, more power to you. I have no judgment. But what I've realized is that the nature of marketing in this society means that the label has to be reductive simply because you're marketing towards a mass audience. And there's so many things competing for the mass audience's attention. So which has become distilled um, occultists, that word has also, that label has also reduced into something. And I think sometimes it's easier just to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm more complicated than that, but whatever, let's run with it. Mm -hmm. And what it's done is it's created this very interesting situation where the internet has become a tool, a bridge between those who are interested, occult curious, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, magic curious, to sort of try out almost like an outfit. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what people today are doing, especially younger people. They are trying out the, the clothing, the outfit of being a witch, of being an occultist, who knows how many will still stay and how many will not be here in five years. But I feel like it's, 
even though it's happened in the past, you know, like every couple you know, decades, witchcraft has become popular. The sheer number that the internet has introduced to witchcraft, even if it's the same percentage, let's say like 90% of those who try it will fall off in the end of five years. Well, maybe back 20 years ago, it was 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking hundreds of millions of people. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? For sure. I mean, I think, it's, I think it means a variety of things, right? I mean, I think that it runs into um, the way in which access to those kinds of ideas starts to change people's notion of empowerment, right? I think that, you know, there's a question about uh, the way in which witchcraft, especially especially amongst women, um, is a manifestation of feminism and a sort of a movement in, in that direction of claiming power and making change, that whether people stick with ceremony or stick with candles or not over time still changes a person's mindset. Right. And I think that it also, um, becomes a question of, you know, um, what role does it's, it also ties into this thing that has happened more and more as social media has accelerated around the death of experts. Right. What does it take to be an expert now? Right. You know, uh, versus what does it take, to you know to be an expert whenever right you know i remember talking to um talking with a bunch of you know people in in tarot who'd been reading cards for 30 40 50 years right and when you ask them how long should you read cards for before you you're ready to read for other people professionally and i think the the average answer was 12 years right i read cards for 15 years before i started reading for the public and you know and and now what's that cycle six months a year two years it's not much right and not to say necessarily that one's better than the other or whatever but it becomes something very different right you know so just from my observation so i as i mentioned before i basically live on tiktok Mm -hmm. so it has been an amazing eight months where i started back in march because the pandemic happened i was bummed out and i was like everybody's on tiktok let's see what that's about and in eight months like at this point i'm at about 95k followers close to 100k who knows i haven't really checked Mm -hmm. but I have spent the past eight months really going through TikTok, especially witch talk, hashtag mm. witch talk. That's the, that's the kind of like the official title. Uh-huh. That's your jam. Yeah, that's the jam. That's the official title that collectively these millions of young people have mm-hmm. decided to call themselves as well. And what I've noticed is that there is a weird sort of policing and identity that is happening amongst these young people that is also happening in just society at large. Sure. So it's a very, very interesting phenomenon. And I keep using the word interesting because no matter what my personal opinions are, I feel like just to watch it unfold is a mind trip. Mm -hmm. So you have these young people, they don't really know a lot. To be perfectly honest, about 90% of them, they really don't know anything they haven't read any books they don't know any experienced occultists i honestly don't know where they're getting their information from half the time i literally do not know there's an entire hashtag called phoenix talk so phoenix as in the phoenix rising from its ashes these are this is the hashtag of these young witches who feel as though more experienced witches are condescending 
and are going to be like, you need to study tarot for 15 years before you read to the public. And these young witches are like, fuck you, you're not my mom, who says so? What, mm-hmm. Who died and made you God, basically? Mm-hmm. And so they really only want to talk to other new witches because when they try to reach out to more experienced witches, the experienced witches, the go-to answer might be, well, why didn't you Google it? Why are you bothering me with these elementary mm-hmm. questions? Mm-hmm. And so they are feeling as though they're being excluded. So amongst themselves, they've created this strange, strange world where they talk about oddly conspiracy theory-esque things about how Lilith and Hecate hate men, how you can quantum reality shift into anime universes where astral projection is like considered to be one of the hallmarks of maybe spiritual initiation, Mm -hmm. where closed traditions and whether or not you've been initiated as being a priest, priestess in a closed tradition makes you more of an expert than anyone else. Like every non-initiatory paths are considered almost in a way to be inferior. Mm -hmm. And people who are not even in these initiated paths, they are the biggest gatekeepers. They're just like, you cannot in any way even basically talk about, let's say Oshun, if you are not number one, initiated, but also number two, you're not of that ancestral heritage. Mm -hmm. There's this big thing where people who are not even in that heritage or in that tradition have become, like in many ways, as we see in politics, have become gatekeepers for those who they consider to be um, maybe marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And they've taken that role very, very seriously. And it's become part of their identity as well. So there's this very strange mix of just a lot of things. And again, half the time, I don't even know where they're getting this information. It reminds me of a lot of um, chaos magic stuff circa oh, chaos magic. early early nineties, mid nineties. I don't know, somewhere around there, right? Where like yeah. I remember, I remember my friend was discussing his his astral temple, right? And I was like, "What's your you know what what do you got for your astral guardians?" He's like, oh, "I got giant rubber duckies." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, giant rubber duckies. You know, the, whatever they patrol the border and." You know, because you can make astral stuff in anything. You can make a, a servitor or whatever look like whatever you want. That's what. And there was a lot of really like, like just super random seeing seeming stuff going on there. That at a certain level, I'm like, like fine. Like you know, would you rather have Chewbacca? Like whatever, it doesn't matter, right? Like you can have it be whatever. But at a, but on another level, was sort of always struck me as like, what's going on psychologically with that person when they're making those kinds of choices right what's going on that they're buying into this idea or that idea or this way of doing it you know what's what's going on where people are so uh intent at rejecting authority or this or that or other things you know and i think that you know maybe nothing right like maybe it's fine maybe you know i've met those people who are just like listen, I've been doing this for 6,000 years and you just go away, right? And it's like, well, cool. Nice to, nice to know you, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, what's, what goes on with all those things? I think it's very fascinating to me, right? I'm, I'm deeply curious about a lot of these things and, and in a way that, you know, I said this beforehand, right? Sometimes when I tell people that I'm really curious because I don't understand what they're doing, it goes very badly. <laughs> it's not a conversation that people often are like amenable to and and it's often a conversation 
and maybe I'll someday strike upon a different delivery, but I think I'm pretty easy going. But like people just get really like tense or weirded out or feel like immediately criticized. I'm like, no, no, I'm just really curious because because it's so far out of my range of experience that I don't I don't understand it. And I would like to understand it, but I just don't, you know? So speaking of chaos magic, uh-huh. it has made a resurgence amongst these uh TikTok witches and occultists. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing, which I find is super interesting because you and I both know that most of the people who are doing chaos magic, who are like the people who wrote the books in chaos magic, have moved on to other things since then. Sure. So they are basically doing and working with technology um, that, in a lot of ways, has become sort of a that was a cool time, but maybe perhaps more effective magic has been. Mm-hmm worked with since then we already know that this is not a secret this is not a secret that people have moved on to other traditions because chaos magic it had its great points but maybe it wasn't as complete as a lot of the magicians wanted it to be Mm -hmm. and yet these young people i think they either don't care or they miss that memo and they're treating Mm -hmm. chaos magic in the same way that people back in the 90s was they were treating it as the solution the Mm -hmm ultimate of like that punk ethos of like magic is what i say it is Mm. not what the man says it is but what Mm -hmm. i say it is and because i say it and i'm god it's very edgelord when i think Mm -hmm. about it and i'm god (laughs) i get to decide and who are you who are you to tell me that i cannot reality quantum shift into a a universe made of anime characters Mm -hmm. fuck you yeah so that's what's I'm going sure, on. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you absolutely can. I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that that's a possibility at all. I wonder what it actually means. And I wonder what the, the benefit of that is on whatever level that people are looking for benefits. You know, that's, that's my question. Um, yeah. The comment that I had, like, because I actually put up a TikTok saying, do you guys even know what that even means? And a lot of people commented. Mm-hmm. saying that I hate life. Life mm. sucks. So if you're going to take away this potential, mathematical potential and probability, mm-hmm. even if it's super, super itsy bitsy, mm-hmm. if you're going to take that away from me, then I am not going to be happy with you because yeah. that is my way of surviving psychologically. Mm. Yeah. Well, I am, I am all, de- all for doing whatever people need to do to get through the day, right? Like, I think that there's especially in this time we're in now, God, right? Like, I think that I'm never for taking any of that stuff away. Um, I think that, yeah, it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't really matter, right? You're going to watch more TV. You're going to astral project into an anime universe. You're going to, you know, like, I'm going to go for like a three hour bike ride. Like it's all varying levels of like, I just need to get out of what's going on right now. Right. Like, so I don't think there's any problems with that. You know, so I do see some problems in that when people have decided that they're an authority and they're kind of using their own UPG, their unverified personal gnosis, yeah, as their authority, and some of them have very charismatic personalities and they've developed cults, mm-hmm. they've developed groups of young people and they're drunk on power. And I remember there was this one person, I forget who it exactly was, but this TikToker was saying, 
you'll start to notice that a lot of these bigger accounts, once they become just completely and utterly high on a huge follower account and the influence, something in their eyes change. TikTok is a video platform, about 60 seconds maximum. And he was like, you can see in their eyes that it looks like broken glass. And what happens is a lot of these people, they start to create um, wars, like which wars they start to send their followers to cancel other followers Mm -hmm. or other people. Um, And so it becomes a very uh, sort of like a microcosm of the macrocosmic idea of the cult of personality Mm. and conspiracy theories. And also what it means to have that word and concept of cult Mm. just in general. There recently I was blocked by this um, person. Um, So Z, that's Z's pronoun, uh, blocked me after I made a very mocking, I thought it was super clever, a very mocking meta um, duet with Z saying that I also have a cult because Z has a cult. And Z says, no, this isn't cult like the way that you think that cult is, not like Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different. Of course, Z never explained how it was different. And I personally think that Z is full of shit. So I made a duet saying that I also have a cult. It's called mm-hmm. toilet magic. <laughs> so Perfect. my cult... Does it help you get rid of your shit? It really does. In fact, uh, the great thing about this toilet magic cult is that it's so hardcore and edgy that other cults ask us in the toilet magic cult how to be a cult. Right, because we're so full of shit. <laughs> so, uh-huh. I thought it was super clever. Yes. And uh, Sulky Girl, uh, one of my friends on TikTok, is the one who came up with this idea because she was just like, TikTok, witch talk is so ridiculous. So we were running with it. We even had the sort of like, um, sort of greeting. It was like 22. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was very, like, all of that. And Z blocked me. Z had no sense of humor. And I was just like, well, that's the worst part of all. I would almost respect Z more if Z was like, yeah, it's a cult, but there was sort of like a, I get it, you know, like a sense of humor or sort of like a sense of awareness about it. Mm. But instead Z just blocked me. And I thought this is such a massive part of Z's, not only personality, but also maybe even finances. Mm. Um, and so there's all these people on TikTok right now trying to debunk Z as a cult leader. Right. And I was just like, this is the sort of stuff that was happening on a smaller scale back in the day. Mm-hmm. But now thanks to TikTok, thanks to people's videos becoming viral. I've had some videos of mine, TikTok videos of mine go viral. We're mm-hmm. talking like over 500K views. Right. Well, I think that it's a really interesting question, right? This question of uh, charisma, right? Mm-hmm. And how, what role does charisma play in, in this stuff, in, in popularity, in, popul- in, in sort of the growing popularity of occultism, right? Because I know a lot of older occultists, and some of them are kind of charismatic and some of them aren't, but like a lot of the ones that I met there, you know, especially those who were doing stuff pre, pre-social media anyway, right? Like maybe not pre-internet, but pre-social media. Um, not almost none of them are like <laughs> charismatic. Like they're not really, you know, like they, they have their like spooky charm or there's something, but it's not like they're not in the way in which social media charisma works to draw people in. Right. And where charisma and charm 
or charisma of some sort, um, you know, or uh, glamour magic of some sort, right, from their personality can very easily define everything about it in the absence of other content, right? Like not always, but like it can, you know? Can I tell you my newly evolved definition of what charisma and glamour magic is in the age of social media? Hit me with it, please. Okay, so my new and evolved, and it may change, but right now my definition of glamour magic and charisma in the age of social media is algorithm. Okay. Those who have an intuitive sense of algorithm, so they don't need to go to social media classes. They don't need to look, hire an expert. They understand what works for a certain platform's algorithm. Mm. Those who have that sense are charismatic for that mm. social platform. People who are great at TikTok, they may have extreme glamour on TikTok and extreme charisma on TikTok are not going to be as charismatic, let's say, on Instagram. In fact, a lot of these million plus followers on TikToks have like 20K or less followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I think that makes a ton of sense, actually. I would say that um, my connection to algorithm has ebbed and flowed over time. You know, currently I would say I'm in a very good place with it uh, on Instagram, which I consider to be, no offense to TikTok, the pinnacle of social media. Um, but um, but there have been times where I've not been aligned with it, you know, or I've not felt, felt it. And these days I feel it very clearly, you know? So, yeah. And I realized that algorithm, we call it that now we have vocabulary to describe it now because we have computers, we have technology, Mm -hmm. but algorithm existed from the beginning of time. It's -hmm. just that we just didn't have the words to describe it. Just like dark matter. It always existed. We just right. didn't develop that vocabulary until mm-hmm. relatively recently. So algorithm is kind of like the dark matter mm-hmm. of glamour and of anything related to that sort of what Mesmer maybe was talking about, that animal magnetism, mm-hmm. that it factor. Mm-hmm. It is, and that it factor is the intuitive, intuitive sense of what works. When Clara Bow was considered like the it girl, she knew how to work the algorithm of silent films. She just knew somehow. Yeah. And then people had to study her and then they learned that algorithm. And then mm-hmm. when talkies came out, there was that algorithm. And then when radio came out, there was that, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Probably radio came out before the films, but anyways. So in each of these communicative platforms, because that's what glamour magic really is. It's the, it's the sensual manifestation of being on certain communicative platforms. Mm. Because if you're, it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a noise? It's sort of like if you're just by yourself, like in a monastery and there's literally no one around, are you doing glamour magic? Mm -hmm. So there needs to be some sort of communication happening and communication requires other people, other entities. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be human beings necessarily. So if that's the case in that communicative platform, whether it's you communing with the spirits you know, like in a monastery where there's no other human beings, but there are spirits. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? What is the algorithm of that? And so I was like, oh my God, if that's the case. And if glamour magic and all of that stuff is about the algorithm, then we can also say that there are those who are skilled at, first of all, working with the algorithm, aligning with the algorithm. And then there's those who are just more in tune with certain algorithms, but not with others. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, magic 
is about you figuring out which communicative platform your natural algorithm most aligns to. But if you don't want to stick with just that and you want to go to other communicative platforms, you just need to study it a little bit more. And maybe you'll always suck at it. Who knows? Because it really helps in video-based communicative platforms like, um, I would say Instagram more and more video today, but definitely TikTok and YouTube. Having some sort of traditional definitions of beauty, physical beauty, is being aligned with a certain type of algorithm. Mm. So having a nice voice really helps with podcasts. So it's just a lot of these things. So it's sort of like knowing what you naturally are aligned to as well. I was like, Mm. oh, okay, it's really about algorithm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there are space for everything, right? Because, you know, I mean, on Instagram, you can be one of those accounts where it's all about you and the way you look and, you know, whatever. And then that's, that's one option. Um, but you can also be about other things as well that will fly, right? Like you can just take stunning pictures of things or you can, you know, show your art or show whatever, right? And there, there, there are people who can make each of those different kind of paths work. There's, there needs to be a visual yumminess, mm-hmm. whether it's yourself or something else, but there needs to be a visual yumminess to your Instagram posts, to your video posts on TikTok or YouTube versus you don't need the same visual yumminess for a podcast. But it's sort of like, what does that mean to be visually yummy, to be mm-hmm. audially yummy, to be textually yummy? Mm-hmm. So that yumminess, maybe we can say the algorithm is yumminess, mm-hmm. the umami sense, the sweetness. Yeah. And you never know what that's going to be, right? Like you know. I remember I was on uh, uh, somebody else's podcast and they, when they announced it, they're like, and Andrew's pauses are just absolutely delicious. And I was like, well, there you go. Hilarious. Perfect. You know, because I do it. And after they said, it, I noticed that I'll be like, especially when I'm being asked a question, I will say something and then I will stop and like, take 30 seconds to collect a really clear thought and then proceed and you know and so there it was a, a, a interview with a lot of silence in it compared to a lot of other interviews so Ooh, very jazzy yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. so where, where do you think this stuff is headed you know i mean it's fast first of all it's fascinating that to me and how could it not it mirrors our current political climate right you know I mean, we've got fake news, we've got, you know, uh, social justice issues, we've got, you know, indigenous issues, race issues, and, you know, all these different things going on, right? And and, and on both sides of those arguments. And I sort of see and hear that in this conversation, right? And people who take their positions in those, in those various, you know, polarities and, and, and social dynamics, where do you think it's going? Where, where do you feel like it's going? It is going to the next big algorithm. And I don't know what that's going to be, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. But what I will say is that, at least on TikTok, what I'm seeing more and more is people trying to find intersections. And I think because the audience and most of the content creators on TikTok or of a certain age group of a certain generation, what they define as progress is going to look very different than somebody like the audience of Facebook, the audience of YouTube. I think YouTube is actually the most diverse audience of them all, but definitely Facebook tends to skew older. 
Um, Instagram tends to skew like millennial and I think TikTok tends to skew Gen Z. Mm -hmm. So you can see clearly there are some, some things that kind of cater to the the algorithm caters to like each generation in a specific way. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to know if somebody wants to write some sort of dissertation, like trying to look at Pluto and you know, like how Pluto's in certain generations, like Pluto Mm -hmm. and Libra, Pluto and Scorpio how Mm -hmm. that relates to social media and Mm -hmm. the algorithms of that social media. So the glamour and the algorithm of each generation. Right. Super curious about that. But what I'm also seeing in general, and maybe I'm only projecting my own interests out into the world, Mm -hmm. but I have been talking a lot more to people outside of the occult who are Mm -hmm. still studying things that would be considered paranormal Uh, Like I just um, had some lovely email interactions with Dr. Jeffrey Kripal of Rice University. And he wrote um, about the flip and he's wrote, he's written uh, the supernatural, super space natural. And, you know, he's, he, he runs the department of religion, I think, or he's the department chair of religion at Rice. Um, I could be totally wrong about that. But so this is somebody who is, if his circle is intersected in some areas with the occult, with the esoteric arts, but also it's from a different perspective. I'm also talking more to artists. I'm talking more to people who are occult adjacent. And this is making me believe that the lines that we had before, that we maybe needed before, they're not as necessary. Mm-hmm. And that is what the internet has done because the internet has sort of blurred the idea because it's so meta. Is it real? Is it real life? There's a book called, um, the mess, the message is the massage. I think I may be getting right now. My memory is just like not working, yeah. but it's a very famous book about media communication and media theory that was written. I think in the sixties or seventies, it's being taught in universities. Sure. Marshall McLuhan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that what it's called? The, me- the medium is the message. The medium is the messenger, the massage. Um, uh-huh. And basically what it's all saying is that, there's a certain point where everything becomes so meta. And this is also very, um, Baudrillard, you know, mm-hmm. so, so meta that we don't know what's real. We don't know what's fantasy. We don't know what's magic because everything has become meta symbolic. Um, are we the identity that we show on Instagram or are we the person who's eating ice cream alone at 2 AM? Because one is where everybody, like if you get a million likes on a post, isn't that more you? because the marketplace is saying that's you, Mm. then you are when you're just by yourself and there's absolutely no one human-wise to witness what you're doing. Like, what does that all mean? And in in that sense, everything has blurred. And so I'm a little bit more interested now, less in what's considered to be straight-up occult, and a little Mm. bit more like, what are the places that intersect with what we would consider to be Mm. straight-up occult? So I have a lot of thoughts about this, right? Yes. So number one, I think that this is just another cycle of those kinds of thoughts, right? Uh, You know, when I was in art school and studying postmodernism and so on, certainly, you know, not so much with the internet back then, but, uh, but like certainly a lot of these ideas, right? And I think that one of the things that's very interesting is this sort of idea of um, like, what, how do we, how do we get to what's real? Right. Right. Are we searching for the real here? Right. And, and all this sort of other ideas. And I think one of the things that I think is a, it's a Western problem, right? Because 
when I talk to my uh, sort of non-Western elders, right? Or, I mean, they're Western, they live in the States, but, you know, but people who grew up in, uh, in Afro-Cuban religious practices and culture. And when I speak with, um, you know, various African people that I work with, you know, as clients and so on, these questions don't exist, right? These questions don't exist at all. They, the, 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 the world is more imminent and direct and taken at face value. And all of these extensions into social media and other things, if they're considered on beyond sort of a, a practical level, they're just considered as an extension of, of sort of everything else. It's just all the same, right? But I actually think that, um, I think that there's something else possible as well. And I've never, I've never expressed this before, but when you said it, I was like, I actually feel like this is something I've been doing for a while, which is, um, you know, I think there's always the option to be the trickster in this regard, right? And to instead say, I'm going to pick up and put down these games and these things and these positions. And my identity is a core that, that, various faces of it show in different places, but that it's not, um, that none of these things are me, the external things per se, maybe the ice cream at 2 a.m. more than anything else. Um, but my, my engagement in all of these is merely a um, performative, right? In a way, a performative of my identity in a way that when I'm using the algorithm or I'm aligned with the algorithm, is functional and achieves what I what what my own trickster aims are, right? And most of my trickster aims are to encourage people to consider themselves differently and expand their minds and and look at what's actually going on outside of these arenas, you know, or beyond or below these arenas, where where there is depth and where those, you know, other tricksters or other entities flow behind the world of masks and illusions, right? Like that's, that's where I, where I feel I'm at with all these things. So I actually don't take any of these questions all that seriously because I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I can put on a, a mask and we can talk postmodern theory or we can talk, you know, medium is the message. We can talk this and that, and all these things. And they're fascinating and they're interesting, but they're all kind of the, they're all kind of a game that, that is layered on top of what I perceive to be real. And maybe everybody feels that way, but go ahead. This is very, this is actually kind of a coincidence that you're bringing this up because, okay, so on TikTok, you can do these things called lives. So once you have about a thousand followers, you can go live mm-hmm. and these are public. So anybody can join. And so, you know, I mentioned that I'm part of the toilet cult, yes. <laughs> toilet magic cult. I'm also the um, head CEO and mascot of another cult. And again, this is being done purely out of jest. Um, And it's called RV for life. RV as in like the RVs that you drive when you're going camping and stuff. Mm -hmm. And what happened was there was a troll who came into one of my lives. Troll is such like a, like an internet feely thing, right? Mm -hmm. A troll came in and started to like put in emojis of the Russian and Mexican flag just constantly. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody was getting really annoyed. But then I remember like looking at it and just starting to laugh. And I was just like, this is perfect because everything that you just said just came into my mind. Like 
who cares, right? This is mm. all so meta. This is just the internet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, guys, all we are are RVs. We're the driver of the RV. We're not the actual RV. And our RVs, we've decided to like pack rocket propellers on ours. Our RVs have those like special like tricked out like rims. Everybody else is driving boring ass RVs on like the highway of life, whatever. We're off-roading in our RVs. And who says our RVs can't turn into submarines either? Yeah. And then I was like, the person in my live, their name is Salsa Shark. And I was like, Salsa Shark, you are our mascot, okay? And so our symbol, anytime you need anybody in the cult, our symbol, symbol is going to be the Mexican flag and the Russian flag with an RV, okay? And this is how we identify and remind each other, thanks to a troll, mm-hmm. that we are just the driver. We're mm-hmm. not, you know, that we get to basically trade in RVs, soup it up, add like those lights that the Middle Eastern truck drivers like add on like the, all oh, the yeah. ornaments and stuff. You get to do that. And you don't have to go on the highway. You can literally off-road this RV. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you, Salsa Shark. And so like all of a sudden, Salsa Shark was no longer annoying. Salsa Shark was a messenger, was mm-hmm. an archangel in this life mm-hmm. <laughs> coming in with a message of what it really is all about, this postmodernism, mm-hmm. post-postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, things have shifted. This is so strange that a troll just coming into my... And the thing is, um, I have a friend who has told me, I have been on other lives, and Salsa Shark has gone into their lives and done the same thing, trolled them with mm-hmm. the Mexican and Russian flag or whatever. But in my life, it's become a symbol, this grand, wonderful, archangel-esque symbol versus mm-hmm. in other ones, it's seen as trolling. What is it? Is it trolling? Because it technically is trolling. Well, is it now proselytizing when they do it in other places? No, they're doing it because they're trolls. They're, they're no, no, I know, but now that mm-hmm. you've claimed it, does it become proselytizing it's for our select group and now that everybody else knows about our secret symbol you guys are also very welcome to use it it's the mexican flag russian flag and rv sometimes we have a little star and so this is just our symbol almost our sigil um our logo if -hmm. mcdonald's gets to have a logo so does rv for life and it's rv the number four l y f e this is very 90s nice Um, (laughs) so that's what I think in a lot of ways for me, it's going towards, and this Mm. is perhaps I would like to think a very fun and perhaps healthy way for Mm. this to sort of go towards. Mm. It's like, yeah, like what you mentioned, can we put on the suit of postmodernism? Can we take it off? Can we put something else? Can we be different facets of the same diamond? How, How big a shoulder patch should I wear to this event? You know? Okay. I would say that if it comes out like, Less than six inches from your actual shoulders, it's not enough. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking talking heads, that. you know, like classic, you know. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. See, I think I think it's interesting because what I've what I sort of see is, um, and I've seen less of what you're talking about because I'm just not on TikTok and you know and and so on, right? And I, I tend to be, um, yeah, I tend I'm just not in those spaces as much. So, and the conversations that I do have with people in that generation they come into the store i'm there and they're like hey i want a thing for this or do you know what what crystal or do you know like hey i was looking for this but you don't have it do you have something similar what it's all like you know brief conversation around practical matters right but i think that there's you know been this sort of like so 
we saw this sort of emergence of animism, right? You know, two years ago, three years ago, maybe like something like that, right? And and emerging as a label around a bunch of stuff that was emerging into the occult scene, right? A stepping away from formality, uh, but not a return to chaos magic, right? And the, and the, and with that comes the emergence of witchcraft and the sort of claiming of that as well, right? I think that those things happened around the same time. And then what I see happening or has happened is that people people drifted into more formal stuff. Astrology became tremendous, right? Like astrology has had this huge rise over the last couple of years. Um, we see uh, a return of people going back to like grimoire magic and like really like old, old school texts and stuff like that becoming very formal and dogmatic about things. And then I see, think we see this other offshoot into uh, more psychology stuff, right? The emergence of trauma consciousness, right? And trauma informedness and these things. It's not that these pieces haven't been around, but I feel like there's sort of a direct emergence of those people who got so far into some spiritual practices and, and then we're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to go deal with my trauma now, right? Oh, oh, no, 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 I need something more more structured. Probably they don't think that way, but, like, I'm drawn to more things that seem more structured or more legitimate or more right. any any army of terms. None of this is dismissive. Please don't send me angry emails. I don't mean it that Shadow way. Shadow work. Right? Um, but, like, going in and going into astrology because astrology promises that everything is knowable right if we are attentive enough at a certain level everything is knowable and the same with grimoire magic and other things right it's what drew me to ceremonial magic you know in my teen years to begin with the idea that if i learned and studied enough that everything became knowable right and then i think there's this other offshoot or perhaps a, a separate movement that's evolved which is this sort of uh chaos magic whatever it is that's that's emerging as well so i feel like that everything's kind of fanning out from the same things again right so that is something that i absolutely agree with and also i would say for me i've been shocked but also not exactly surprised that there's a lot of stuff going on in russia that mm-hmm. i think is kind of cutting edge so i don't think they would characterize it as occultism because Okay, so I actually have a lot of are you, Russians. Are you that referring I to them interfering with the election in America? No, I'm talking about okay. spiritual technology that they're using. Uh-huh. Yeah. And okay, so in the past couple of years, there's been a growing movement centered around this book written by a guy named Vadim Zeeland, and it's called okay. Reality Transurfing. We're talking, this is like if Dostoevsky was like a physics like professor. And, like, wanted to just, like, I don't know, mix, like, Dostoevsky with, like, I don't know, just, like, the most, like, intense, like, 600, 700-page, like, the, like unified theory of everything. Okay. Like, yeah. It's, like, Law of Attraction 500.0. Okay. So I found it super fascinating that in this post-Soviet world, and it's been like 30, it's been a generation since the fall of the Soviet Union. Sure. And I always thought of Russia as being kind of like still kind of Soviet in a way, but it's actually very different. It's like super cutting edge and super like 
there's such a dichotomy, but at the same time, there's this underlying feeling of, oh, of course, you know, we have kitchen spirits, like we're European, but there's also the strong Eastern influence as well. In some ways, like I see a lot of Russia, especially outside of Moscow and St. Petersburg in the regions like Siberia, um, the former Soviet Union, um, the, the regions, especially mm-hmm. like in Central Asia, as well as being this like, incredible mix of just like lots of cool ideas. But you have Reality Transserving by Vadim Zeland, which is, I think, going to become the next, like, the secret. And also, you have um, astral projection or astral, just sort of like astral surfing, that's being taught in seminars, that's being taught by Russians all across Europe, I'm um, in these group seminars, and there's this really cute website, and it's so Russian, the name is OBE, Out of Body Experience, the number four, and then the letter U, OBE4U.com or something like that. They have a free ebook about how to astral project. And I did a TikTok about this. They're basically treating all the stuff with a weird level of, I don't want to say casualness, but it's sort of like, oh, of course. And so I was very curious. So I did some research because as we all know, the CIA, they declassified a lot of like their, what is it? The Stargate experimentations and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Remote viewing and things that the CIA, um, that the government was doing in secret, it was a huge thing in the Soviet government. It wasn't a secret. Like in the Soviet Union, they were just like, well, of course people have psychic abilities. Of course people can have clairvoyant abilities. Hello, you know? Mm. And in fact, I have done a little bit of digging into this. And there's the, the, the guy that the U.S. military trained, the number one guy that they trained to do remote viewing. McNoggle, McNeagle, I forget his last name. He teaches at the Monroe Institute right now. He wrote a book and he was talking about how in the Soviet Union, scientists were literally inventing like headgear that an average person can wear that they could amplify their natural psychic abilities because they really thought it was like brainwaves and it was all scientifically explainable. And instead of the Soviet government being like, you guys are crazy, they were just like, we have like a gazillion other things that we need to test. Thank you very much. We're going to put it in a storage room, but we just don't have time. Mm-hmm. Like they treated it very differently than the Americans have treated right. it. And so that sense, that sort of like away from this maybe um, Western European, continental European, American, North American materialism, um, empiricism, mm-hmm. but it's still like Europe because it's Russia. I think that's super, super, super interesting. Also, the fact that you have places like South Korea, and increasingly because South Korean pop culture is coming de facto Asian culture in a lot of ways, mm. South Korea has taken old traditional indigenous spiritual beliefs as well as Western beliefs, like Western astrology, mm-hmm. Western tarot stuff, mixed it with their super fast 99% of the population being connected to high-speed broadband internet. Mm -hmm. And they've taken it and they've like supercharged this sort of spirituality and occultism. And they don't have the same sort of maybe existential crisis that we have about the mixing of the two. Mm -hmm. They've very clearly decided that it is something that is an everyday part of life. The president Mm -hmm. consults a shaman. There's, and I may have mentioned it in our previous talk, instead of food trucks, they have tarot trucks. You can go in outside, you go clubbing in Gangnam, like Gangnam style, that song. You go clubbing in Gangnam, you come out of the club, you just met a guy and you want to know like, what's up? You go inside this like tarot truck and you get your cards read. 
You go to cafes where you can order a macchiato. You can order an iced coffee. And somebody will come and sit down with you, and they'll do your astrology chart or tarot. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal. So now I want a food truck to drive around <laughs> the country in and, and do readings for people. You absolutely should. It's big business. Like the entire mishmash of, in Korea, the idea of cultural appropriation, and I think in general in Asia, in a lot of non-North American culture, I think cultural appropriation isn't seen the same way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been to astrology cafes in Korea where they were mixing saju, which is sort of like the Chinese style or the Asian style of divination. Mm-hmm. They've mixed saju with Western astrology, with tarot cards, mm-hmm. with, you know, somebody claiming that they were an initiated Korean shaman. So mixed with that. Plus they're going on YouTube um, and their YouTube name is like their name plus their cell phone number in case you want like hire them for like some sort of spell work or hire, mm-hmm. which is so smart that they put their cell phone <laughs> number like in their actual YouTube name mm-hmm. talking about these things. And they do live streams. Korea, South Korea kind of revolutionized and they pioneered this entire live streaming thing. They have these people that are called, and it's like the worst title ever. I don't think they realize what they did, but they, they call them BJs, broadcast uh-huh. jockeys. And these are people who go on and they get tons of gifts, money, whatever it is, by going live, whether it's eating, like doing mm-hmm. mukbangs. Or they're going live to talk about spirituality. They do something called chum, which is like Korean South fortune telling. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it in this like super like modern way. They have no mm-hmm. issues whatsoever um, with technology. Like mm-hmm. all the shamans are, they're, you know, 60, yeah. 70 years old with like cell phones. They don't care. When I was in China three years ago, four years ago, I can't remember when I was in China. And we were on this like, like we, the person who brought us there to teach um, had us on all these, like had us on a couple online things, right? Like doing live videos basically before they were even a thing here. Right. And they were just like, yeah, it's just like being on TV. And like they see it exactly. The same. Then they saw it exactly the same. Right. And you know, it's like, yeah. So it's fascinating. And for them, the algorithm, mm-hmm. it is so naturally a part of what they consider to be magic because there isn't the same delineation between mundane quote-unquote mundane life and magic yeah and it's sort of like well of course you're a dummy if you don't consider the algorithm Mm -hmm. of course you want to get plastic surgery to help the algorithm like the the live stream of the youtube Mm -hmm. no problem so there is a different mindset and the fact that there's so much of this western european continental european mindset that's trying to infiltrate korea Mm-hmm. kind of bothers me in a way because it's now getting involved in that. Um, and it, it's taking away, I think from the speed because what mm-hmm. Korea had before mm-hmm. was this ability to move just really fast because there was no sort of like hemming and hawing and like philosophical existential mm-hmm. crisis about them. Yeah. So now there is more of this feeling of like, what is the meaning of life? What is this? What is that? Um, there's a spiritual hunger that, maybe they're looking to the West for, but I think mm-hmm. there's also a huge resurgence of indigenous spirituality that's coming in. That's being done in this very, very new technologically advanced way, algorithmic way. Mm-hmm. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating to see sort of the grounding of deep knowledge and, and high speed really. Right. Like, you know, I think those things are fascinating. 
And also, we need to realize that Asia has had war after war in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this spiritual stuff was either lost, suppressed, they were killed, you know, the, the old mm-hmm. ways. So in some ways, the same issues of gatekeeping, of trying to keep the tradition pure, are people just making shit up? It's become an issue as well um, of Westerners wanting to get initiated as Korean shamans. Now there's big debates of, is that even a thing? Can we do that? Mm-hmm. And also the mix of that plus capitalism. Each initiation, as we all know, it can bring in the big bucks. Sure. So how do we do that? Market, market demand, are we providing it? Is it all right if we do that? So well, it's exactly the same problems facing Orisha traditions exactly. in, in Africa and in, in the diaspora, right? Like, because exactly. there are people out there who be like, oh, you get the money? Sure, we'll do it, right? And then exactly. you look at what they receive and you're like, this has no bearing on tradition, you know? None. But, you know, you know, it's complicated. It's complicated times. It is. And so that seems to be the sort of wonderful chaos that's being helped in speed by this algorithm, by technology that is carrying this binary code, which is a type of spell um, that we call an algorithm. That's Mm. kind of where we're headed. And to me, this is so interesting. I'm literally excited about this constantly 24 seven. Yeah, it's great. I love your excitement. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm very curious about is how this is going to mature, because as we mentioned earlier, Um, people are very concerned with identity going back, circling back Mm -hmm. to the identity. They're very concerned with identity when you're beginning and when you're like maybe up to like intermediate level. And there comes a certain point where that starts to dissolve. When that dissolves, does the algorithm still remain important? Like Mm -hmm. how do you communicate your evolution when you ultimately don't give a shit about the algorithm anymore? Are you developing your own algorithm at that point? So all these things to me, have yet to unfold. They're starting to unfold just a little bit right now. And I am so excited to see what it's going to look like in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, me too. Well, let's keep checking in and keep talking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's a good place to wrap it up for today. Um, Where should people come and find you? What's your TikTok handle? How do people find you there? Or where else should people look for you? I think it might be the easiest to just go on YouTube, which is, by the way, the number two search engine, perhaps going to be number one soon um, in the world after Google. You can look up witches and wine, just witches, wine. And then I'll probably be the first thing that comes up. And then all my social media is linked there. My Instagram and TikTok are both the same. It's hi, Chawan, but it's linked in my YouTube as I mentioned, TikTok is probably where I live the most, but my YouTube is definitely having more and more videos come out. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for catching up with me today. This has been utterly delightful. Oh, thank you. Well, folks, that wraps episode 115. And that is just shy of five days worth of continuous podcasting available if you're listening to the Hermit's Lab podcast. So do me a favor. As I mentioned at the beginning, go give it a support. Uh, Other ways that you could support making this happen is by supporting my store. I do have this online store that uh, sells all the spiritual goodness you could ever want. We ship all over the planet. Uh, And, of course, there is the Patreon. And finally, there's also the easy stuff I get. Money isn't always the thing. Um, You can share this, right? Send it to your friends. Post it on the socials. uh, Get it out there. I appreciate you listening. 
And I certainly would appreciate some support in helping this podcast thrive and kind of get to the next level through what is a particularly challenging time, certainly for everybody. All right. Be well. Talk to you soon.